Thank you, Erica. Uh, by the way, welcome back to Pastors uh, Hunsucker and Ogden uh, for their Out West trip, and all of those of you that went on that trip. Uh, lots of fun stories, lots of fun stories, and probably some stories that won't be repeated, I guess, but that's all, that's all a fun part of the trip. But the Out West trip, the, the, the what did you call it? The, uh, there was a n- nickname that Pastor Morris gave it, but it was a, it's another Out West trip. And I think that he even had a slideshow for his Sunday school class, right? And so, uh, but welcome back, welcome back um, from that. You know, that Out West trip that, that, that they were just on, I can't help but re- think about all of the Out West trips that I was blessed to have been a part of. Uh, when we would take our teen boys on the Out West trip. So if you don't know, for 25 years since Pastor Monty's been here, uh, the acting youth pastors have had uh, one, one particular thing in the, in the annual calendar that we kind of worked around. Uh, there were certain things that we, certain activities that we would do and not do, and we would try and it wouldn't work, and we would, we would, uh, we would maybe do and, and Cancel, but there was one constant on the calendar, and that was the out west trip. Our teen boys would be led to somewhere far, far away, Wyoming or Colorado or Minnesota, and other places maybe not so far away. We've gone to Texas, we've gone to North Carolina, we've gone to Arkansas, and so we've 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 taken these trips with the, with the boys on this out west trip, and and really the reason for that is so that we could uh, minister to the young men in a different setting, in a setting that they weren't uh, comfortable in necessarily. It's the same thing with like going to camp. Uh, it's a setting that you're away, from, you're away from home, you're away from the comforts of home. And so the Out West trip was something that we did every year. We've done every year, 25 years that, that we've been doing the Out West trip. And as I thought about the Out West trip in light of the, the, uh, the, out, the BYF Out West trip, um, I thought about all of the memories that were made on that trip. I've also thought about some of the close calls that we've had on that trip. Early on in my tenure as youth pastor, we were coming back from a far-flung destination. I think we were probably coming back from Colorado and driving across Kansas. Uh, you know, there's st- storms that pop up through Kansas and through the middle part of the country pretty dangerous storms. And so we're, we're driving on I-70 headed westbound or heading eastbound coming back to Indy. And as, as we're driving along, I'm in one van and there's another van following and our van had the, tra- or had the trailer on the back of it. And we're driving down 70 and there was a storm that was approaching and we were trying to make it to a, a rest stop and let the boys get out and do their business and, and uh, spend the last of their money on, on touristy wares. And there was, uh, the storm was coming and the wind was blowing and I could feel the, the, the trailer whipping around back there and uh, the, the wind began blowing pretty, pretty hard and there was a, there was a as I remember, a FedEx truck, a, a semi-truck that was pulling two trailers that was going way too fast and I had slowed down because the rain had started and, and I had slowed down and there was a, a truck pulling two trailers zooming up next to me to my left and the wind began blowing these two trailers they must have been empty and uh but it lifted those trailers off of the ground right outside of my window and and i'm holding on and at 
out my peripheral, I see those trailers come off the ground, slam back, and kind of get a, a, a control of themselves. And I, I backed way off, and it went up, and I asked the boys, did you see that? And they're like, yeah, we saw that. And I called back to the, uh, to the van behind, and they were afraid. They were scared to death, too. That was scary. That was incredibly scary. Uh, of all the, the close calls that we've had, that was, was one of the most frightening uh, and honestly pretty traumatic. And the years, the months following that, I started to question the wisdom of taking the teen boys on this trip again. Uh, it's a long trip. We're, we're covering a long distance uh, that exposes us to some risk. 20 hours of driving exposes us to dangers. And so we can minimize, my thoughts were the weeks and months following this, I thought, man, we can minimize the risk by maybe just having something here at the church. Maybe we could have a bonfire. We could have just a a guy's activity uh, here at the church that maybe was elongated or something. Maybe something more controlled, something safer, something less dangerous. Maybe the boys' trip was too adventurous. Maybe traveling with two, three vehicles is too much risk. After all, it's not, as, as uh, many of you know, it's not truly an out west trip unless there's mechanical issues with the vehicle and boxing. Now, I don't know. I asked Pastor Morris if they brought the boxing gloves, and I don't think they did, so there was just some bare-knuckle boxing, I guess. But it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure, no doubt. And I, we've, we've done this for 20 five years, and, and at the point it hadn't been 25 years, but we had done this many years, and without incident, without uh, an accident on the road or wrecks, and I, I began wondering, God has kept us safe so far up to this point, maybe it's time to, to call it. Maybe we just should know when to fold them. And I thought, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. I mean, think of the liability of it all. Taking 20-plus boys states far, far away from their, the safety of their, their vinyl village, the AC in their homes. Their parents have put up the cutlery, and they've plugged the outlets, and they've made things safe for them. And, and we're, just, we're just being too risky. We're taking these boys on this trip. So dangerous, so risky on this unnecessary Excursion. These were some of the thoughts that were going through my mind following that trip in particular. But we all know that, there's, that the reality of it is that there's no risk-free way to travel. And if we think about it, that applies to every aspect of life as well. Most of us know that there are no absolute guarantees. There are no fail-safe plans. And there's no risk-free life. The poet John Greenleaf Whittier once wrote, For all sad words off tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. When we think about life and we think about risk, we understand that life refuses to be neat and clean. Living and risking go hand in hand. And at a personal level, to reach out to another in friendship risks something, doesn't it? When we reach out to someone, it risks involvement. It risks our time. 
To love someone else is to risk not being loved in return. To expose your feelings is to risk being rejected. And it doesn't do any good to run scared from the risks of life, yet we're told all the time to protect ourselves in every conceivable way. Insurance companies make billions of dollars a year by promoting to protect us from life. Advertisements guarantee grandiose things and benefits with no risk involved. And sometimes we avoid risk to the point of hurting our lives as Christians. And that risk avoidance mentality spills over into our relationship with God and our lives as believers. And we begin to play it safe by, by putting walls around our lives and limiting the extent of our involvement for Christ and his gospel. And maybe we, we come to church and we read our Bibles and say a few prayers and maybe even go to Sunday school. And all those things are great, but sometimes that defines the full extent of our faith. And Jesus of Nazareth never meant the Christian life to be limited or boring. He meant it to be a life of excitement, a life of adventure, and a life of risk. And we see that pictured throughout the Bible. Think of God calling Abraham and Sarah to leave their home and go to a place that they didn't know. Think of Peter and Andrew and James and John when Christ approached them on their fishing boats and said, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Now, we know the full context of all of that, but those men followed Jesus without understanding what he was really even talking about. But there was an excitement, but also there was a risk in leaving their careers, their thriving business to follow an itinerant wandering preacher. So much opportunity but so much unknown. Think of the anticipation that Paul and Barnabas must have felt when they heard the Holy Spirit had a risky missionary journey to send them on. See, understand this, that Christ has called us to a life of opportunity and risk. And the parable in Matthew chapter 25 is an illustration of that and it's proof of that. As we're looking at Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus tells this story in the context of a long discourse that he had given to the disciples about a second coming. Jesus isn't talking to the multitude or to the believers. There's no uh, Pharisees or Sadducees around, but Jesus was speaking to his followers. People like you and I that claim to be Christians. And it shows us that God rewards a life of taking advantage of opportunities for him and may be at times risky. And it warns us against the type of life that can unfortunately epitomize certain elements of the contemporary church. Look with me please at Matthew chapter 25 and we'll read the first two verses of the passage that we read earlier. Read together with me, verses 14 and 15. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country 
who called his own servants and delivered them unto him as goods. And, to, and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To every man according to his several ability, his own ability, and straightway took his journey. So there's a man going on a journey, obviously, for a long time, months, maybe longer, maybe up to a year. And in order for his estate to be well managed in his absence, he called three of his servants to entrust to them his possessions. The servants, they were his, and it seemed like, it seems as if they had the capabilities to manage the wealth and that they were trusted by the journeying man. In, in many cases, servants like this were well-educated and qualified to take care of the, take care of the affairs of, of, of the master even while he was with them. When he left town at any length of time, <clears throat> they would then act in almost like a power of attorney role during his time away. And they were responsible for handling all the assets and the business operations for the owner for his benefit and for his profit. And satisfied his money was in capable hands, he went on this extended journey. Now as we read the passage there, we see the, how things were given out. The numeration was uh, to one, five talents was given. To the other, two talents were given. It's significant that the responsibility, and the other one, it's significant that the responsibilities were given to each according to his own ability. See, the man knew the servants well, and he entrusted each one only with the responsibility that he could reasonably expect them to handle. Obviously, the man in the story represents Jesus. The traveling man represents Jesus. And we know this because uh, this and the previous parable represent the kingdom of heaven. It starts off that way. And him going on a journey represents the time between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. And the servants represent professed believers in the church whom he has entrusted with various resources on behalf of him until he returns. And Jesus mentions only three levels of responsibility here, but it's suggestive of the wide range of abilities among the people. God has given each one of us giftings and abilities and talents. Believers have spiritual gifts that vary. Some have the gift of teaching or preaching or wisdom or helps or knowledge or administration or faith. And even among the 12 disciples, we see that there were different levels of responsibility. Peter, James, and John, they were the inner circle and more was entrusted to them. As the church in Jerusalem grew, James was, was uh, more the most prominent and acknowledged leader in the Jerusalem church. And so there's different giftings and different levels of ability. I think of one of our missionaries, Bill Patterson, who is the head of uh, Mount Abram uh, Missions. Bill's an amazing guy. He's one of the brightest men that I've ever met. Bill knows over a dozen languages, but if you ask him, he, he qualifies that by saying, I only speak eight languages fluently. Well, pretty, <laughs> pretty humble with that. I took German one year, and I took Spanish a year or two, 
and uh, I can count to 10 in German. And uh, I, I'm pretty proficient in ordering food at Laha or a taco truck. But, but I'm impressed by a guy that has the gifts that Bill Patterson does. And so there's giftings and abilities that are given to us all. You may not have the, 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 the gift of, of languages, but there's a gift that you have. There's a, a resource that God has given you. And this is the truth here. God is consistent in giving opportunities appropriate to the abilities that he's already given or he will give people. Jesus is gone for a while. Jesus is returning. And while Jesus is away, he's entrusted his possession, the local New Testament church, to his servants, to us. And he's expecting that his servants will do what he would do, to speak the truth how he would speak the truth, to love people how he would love, to reach people how he would reach, to strengthen families how he would, to grow his kingdom like he would, to serve others as he would, and to accomplish this until he returns. He's given us talents and resources and money and opportunities according to our abilities for the furtherance of the gospel, his kingdom, through his church. The question is, the question isn't if God has given you a place or responsibility in building his church because he has. The question is, how do you invest those things that he's given? Do you invest those resources? Do you take risks to build his kingdom? Do you leverage the resources that's given you to build his church? Let's look at the different servants and how they leveraged their resources. So as we left them in verse 15, the Bible says that the servants were given these talents, this money at the time, but it's representative of so much more. Look with me, please, in verses 16 through 18. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one digged it into the earth, and he hid his Lord's money. We see that the first two, they were eager to serve. Immediately, the Bible implies, immediately they went out and they took the resources and they risked those resources. And they doubled what they were entrusted with. And the Bible says that the man traded or he did business over a long period of time. And the text communicates that the servant didn't make one good trade or investment. He didn't buy a lottery ticket and he came back a winner. But he put to use the resources that were given him for the benefit of his master. He invested, he traded consistently right off the bat and consistently until the master came back. He traded and he retraded as long as the master was away, but he used at full advantage the resources given him. And I think that's a great description of how some people use what God's given them for the glory of his and for the benefit of others. When they come to know Christ, they see the resources that God in his love has given them. 
They can maybe communicate well. They can work hard. They can have good business sense. They can teach. They can build. They can empathize. They can help. They can organize and on and on and on. And they know that the resources present tremendous opportunities for creating, for growing, for developing, for investing. And as they walk through life, that Christian is represented by the first two servants there. They risk those things for Jesus and his sake. They risk those things for those whom Jesus loves. They risk those things for his work. And over time, all sorts of good things come about as a result. But there's a risking involved, do you understand? With resources and opportunities. But we see, pardon me, but we see in the first two servants a great illustration. We see this drive. This drive to risk comfort. This drive to risk acceptance. This drive to risk loss. Even risking the resources to invest in God's kingdom in eternity. And for us, we should know the heart of Jesus and the love for his people. And immediately and continuously invest and grow and invest and grow and invest and grow. The talents, the gifts, the resources, the opportunities that Jesus has given us. Motivated in this. That Jesus will be pleased in our work. That was the motivation for the servants. That when the master would return, he would be pleased in them. Will Jesus be pleased in you? Will Jesus be pleased in us? That we've taken the opportunities and the resources and we've invested and we've developed and we've increased for his sake. But that's exactly what the first two servants in the passage did. They knew the master. They knew that he loved them and entrusted them with all of his resources and so they risked those for him. Now, the third servant, he stands in contrast to the first two. He, he, he has pretty harsh judgment proclaimed against him, as we'll see in a little bit. But while the first two were out seizing opportunities, the one servant dug a hole and put his talent in the ground. He's a picture of those who refuse to do anything, change anything, anything for Jesus. And for those folks... Life is compromised of always playing it safe. Maybe attending church, but don't talk to them about using the resources and the gifts that God's given them for ministry, for reaching their neighbor or serving others. There's a a status quo that's good enough for them. Sometimes churches are tempted to act similarly. And in a day, an age in which culture is breaking apart. There's too many churches that are hunkering down. Hunkering down inside of the walls of the fortress. Burying their treasures instead of risking what God's entrusted them to do. In order to reach those in need and to have an influence for Christ... There must be opportunity used, resources invested, risks taken. 
It's a tragedy when people do that. It's a tragedy when churches do that. Because the needs are big, and the needs are growing. We know the numbers on divorce. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Almost 20% of, of Indiana high school teenagers are illiterate. Almost, uh, almost 108,000 people <clears throat> die of <coughs> drug overdoses in the United States in 2022. And that's more than double the number of deaths from overdoses in 2015. See, the problems are growing. The needs are greater. Of those deaths, 28 deaths in Hendricks County for drug overdoses. Over 2,600 deaths by overdose in Indiana. And what's even more serious is the growth of the number of people who don't know who Jesus was, let alone been born again. In our bus ministry that we provide transportation for folks to come to church, I recognize probably 12 years ago something interesting that there are a, a growing, uh, maybe it's not a majority of kids, but there's a, a large group of young people that ride our buses that have never heard the story of Jesus Christ. They don't know who Noah is. They don't know who Moses is. And so we begin at an entry level when we, when we speak to them about Noah or Moses or David or Jesus explaining who they were and that Jesus is not Noah. They've, they've heard of the name of Jesus. They have no context whatsoever. My point is, is our opportunity is growing. The problems are big and they continue to grow. The needs are big. The opportunities for gospel advancement are enormous. And it's no time to hunker down or to slow down or to shut down because Jesus has given us tremendous resources. And he's called us to risk those resources in faith for him. One of the main reasons why comes, us, comes to us in verse 19. The Bible says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And he reckoned with them. He settled up with them. And so he that had, had, he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. I've doubled your money. I've doubled your resources. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And we read the same for the second servant as well that had two talents given him and he doubled those resources. And when the master came back, both the first and second servant had doubled the resources. They had risked, they had traded, they had invested, they had made business dealings, and they came back with more for the master. And despite the differences in their resources, they're given the same reward by sharing their master's happiness, 
They received his approval. It's not what we're given, but what we do with what we're given that matters to God. It's why we should never play the comparison game. It's never about what we've been entrusted with. It's always about whether or not we're willing to risk what we have in service to Christ. Your talents were given to you according to your abilities. Your Christian brother or sister was given talents according to their abilities. Maybe you don't have wealth because God knows you would just waste it. Don't get mad at God. Be thankful that God knows you better than you know yourself and he's protecting you. Maybe you don't have uh, opportunities to, to, to take uh, a big promotion that would move you out of the area. Maybe that's because God wants you to be here at this place mentoring others in a smaller setting than some big grandiose scheme that you may have for yourself. And he's got you here for that purpose. Maybe you're not talented musically and you wish you were. Maybe you're not talented musically because God knows if you had that musical ability, you would up and move to Nashville. You would just leave and you'd pack up and you'd get a guitar and you'd just move to Nashville. But the truth is this, that God has given you talents. Maybe God's given you five. Maybe God's given you two. Maybe God's just given you one. But you have this. You have this resource. You have this gift. You have this talent. You have this opportunity to develop, to perfect, to use, to minister, to mentor, to bless, to encourage, to build, to love, to teach for the perfecting of the saints in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, his possession. And you've been given that talent. What are you doing with that talent? Risk your comfort. Risk your pride. Risk your reputation for the master. It takes us to the third servant, and we can see the master's response. Begin reading in verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed or seeded. I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that, that that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful, lazy, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, or at least taken it to the bank. And then at my coming, I should receive mine own with usury, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That interaction there, it's pretty scary, right? It raises some questions. Well, why did the servant bury his talent? 
Why was he unwilling to risk the resources? It says he was fearful. It says that he was lazy. Maybe he was selfish. Maybe it was all three of those things revealing this, that he didn't trust the master. There's, a, there's an accusation leveled at the master. He says this in verse, uh, verse 26. No, in, in verse 20, 24. He says, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. What he's saying here, he, he's saying you're an unjust master. And I was fearful of you. Christian, we should never have that feeling toward God. And what a smack in the face because the master had given him talent, had given him ability, and he wasted it. You say, at least he didn't bring back anything. The master said, you've wasted the talent that I've given you. You've wasted the opportunity that was before you. You've wasted the resource given you. And the master said this, he says, take what he wasted, take that one talent that he, that he had, and give it to somebody else. Take the, take the opportunity, take the resource from him, give it to somebody else. Give it to someone that's going to use it. While the parable ends on a negative note related to the third servant, I think it's more important for our purposes to look at the positive example of the first two. And this is this, that Jesus wants us to know there's a direct connection between our lives now and our lives then. He's telling us that if we're faithful in risking what he's given to us in order to advance the gospel and to make him known that he will reward us with something far beyond what we can imagine. I think back to those out west trips. <clears throat> and and I, I think back to the adventure of it all. And I think back to some, some, sketchy, some sketchy times. That one incident, for whatever reason, always stood out to me. That was, that was the scariest thing that I, as the youth pastor and leading that trip, experienced. And as I thought about that, what if we had stopped? What if we had caved to the fear of not taking the opportunities? What if we had stopped with those boys' trips? And I remember thinking, not only the, uh, of that incident, and of course I was responsible for all, these, all these, these guys, so certainly I didn't want anything bad to happen, and that was a, a weight of responsibility on me. But I remembered all the things that God has done in the lives of the young men on that trip. I remember when, I remember when Levi, when Levi accepted Christ as his Savior, on an early morning canoe trip with his brother Isaac in Crooked Lake, Minnesota. Isaac had been praying for Levi to be saved for a long time, and he talked Isaac into coming on the trip. 
And I remember the excitement in, in Isaac's voice as he, they got back from their canoe trip and he runs up and, hey, Pastor Wall, Levi got saved. And he was just beaming. Or when Doug, a young man who was, and Doug was raised in a chaotic family situation. But Doug was born again on that trip. I had the privilege of baptizing him in the Red River. I remember uh, Bailey trusted Christ on the trip and I was able to baptize him in uh, a creek. I think it was called Devil's Thumb Creek or something like that. I remember long, tearful conversations with a young man that was struggling with immorality. And we prayed through it and I counseled through it, but it all began on that trip. And he, he, he got victory over that sin. And I remember these 20-hour-long van rides in unair-conditioned vans. And I remember these long van rides with, with Zach and Matthew and Thomas and Alex and Riley and Isaac and Robbie and Mac and on and on and on. Lifelong friendships were forged on those trips. Fun memories, too many to list. Powerful, poignant memories that revolved around campfires and boxing matches and rodeos and hikes and swims and boats and over long van rides all because listen church all because we took risks and invested the resources the opportunities to increase the possession of the lord's church his church his kingdom people who won't risk their time their talent and their treasure for christ will never have an influence like that In closing, I heard a preacher say, he said, there are a lot of people who've planned their lives out very carefully. Nice little job, nice little marriage, two nice little kids, nice little retirement plan, nice little house with a nice little two-car garage with two nice little cars, nice little place to go in the summer and maybe a nice little place to go in the winter. He said this, he said, do you know what's at the end of that story? It's a nice little hill with a nice little mound on it. A nice little stone at the top of the mound with your name on it. A few nice little dates underneath. And you know what will have happened? You will have pampered yourself into mediocrity. When you could have risked your way into immortality. If we're truly born again, we're going to risk our resources for the Savior. We're going to invest opportunities for Christ. We'll find new ways to reach lost people with the gospel. We'll be more willing to sacrifice our time and energy and prayer in serving others. We'll care deeply about reaching out to new people. And when they come to our church, we'll find new ways to enfold them in the church. Don't be so averse to risk that you just hunker down in fear or hunker down in hesitation. It can never be fear first ahead of Christ. God has given all of us resources. So instead of squandering them on things that are just chaff in the wind, we should invest those, take the resources that God has given, 
and let's build his church. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ. Lord, we're, we're, we're grateful of the opportunities that you've given us. We thank you for the salvation that you've given us through Christ. But God, we recognize more than that. Father, you've called us to take risks for you. We, you've called us to seize opportunities. Father, I pray on a personal level that I will leverage the resources and the gifts and the talents given to me for your kingdom. And Father, corporately, I pray for this church to be a church that, and I, and I thank you, Father, that this church has never been this way, that we will be the church triumphant and forge ahead for the glory of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.